Welcome to Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. I am Joe Galina. Acknowledge me. And as always, I'm joined by my buddy, Scott Chu. What's going on today, Scott? Not a whole lot, man. It's uh, it's something around zero degrees Fahrenheit out here in, in Michigan. We've had oh, we've boy. basically been in a winter storm warning since like Thursday night, basically. And it just keeps changing what it is. At first, it's this wet, heavy snow. Now it's this like frigid, dry snow. I, I now understand the Eskimos having like, you know, 20 something words for snow mm. because like we're experiencing all of them here in Michigan in the last. 48 hours it, it's it's been a real joy let me boy, tell you oh boy you're really getting a real winter so um by the way we're recording this podcast january 14th about 12 20 p.m eastern time and here in new york yesterday morning on saturday it was 60 degrees then all of a sudden the bottom dropped out uh and then you know went down to the 30s so now they're forecasting snow squalls uh, for today, and we might get our first recorded uh, snow. Like in 700 days, there's been like a fraction uh, of uh, an inch of snow recorded in Central Park, which is pretty uh, unheard of. But uh, I guess all the cold weather is staying with you. And, you know, uh, like I mentioned, we're recording this on Saturday, watching the Kansas City Chiefs Miami Dolphins game last night. That was uh, just felt cold watching it, and it's great that we get a chance to talk about a warm weather sport like baseball right now. Yeah, except for you know uh, twins and tigers and uh, any outdoor stuff in the north in uh, in the beginning of the year, you know, in April. Yeah, something we'll talk about a lot when we get to you know the regular season. Like man, it, it can be real crummy out here. Yes. Uh, that time of year, just cold and wet or snowy. That legendary game in Comerica. Mm-hmm. Uh, back when Akil Badu was still good, so it's a time that was near and dear to my heart. They're just uh-huh. playing in a snowstorm, the old right? Days. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And I do remember. I think there was a uh, an opening day uh, in Yankee Stadium. Now, it's got to be now. It's got to be maybe you know fifteen plus years ago, where it was just flurrying all day. It was pretty cool to see the juxtaposition of a pitcher on the mound with snowflakes flying all over him. So, uh, yeah, April baseball could be very interesting uh, weather-wise. So, uh, But still, it's great to be talking baseball with you, and uh, we actually have some stuff to talk about. Got a lot of players to talk about uh, today, Scott. And why don't we start with uh, well, we start with the Dodgers, it seems, right? And, and the Dodgers, they end up signing uh, Teoscar Hernandez, uh, former Mariner, former Toronto Blue Jays, signed him to a one-year, $23.5 million contract. Uh, Gonna start taking a look at these ADPs now, right? So we, uh, Hernandez has an ADP of 148 in NFBC drafts. Remember, uh, NFBC uh, has a five outfielder league, so obviously outfielders like Hernandez are more valuable. Um, and he's the 32nd outfielder taken in, in those drafts. But now we're starting to get some data from fantasy pros to have their consensus average ADPs up, and they combine CBS drafts, RTS drafts, and NFBC. So um, he has an ADP in the Fantasy Pros consensus drafts of 109 compared to 148 in NFBC drafts. So it's interesting that he has a a higher ADP in Fantasy Pros drafts, but uh, interesting stuff. So, uh, yeah, Dodgers just keep on, (laughs) you know, adding and uh, 26 home runs, 93 RBI uh, last season. Uh, Talk about uh, Teoscar Hernandez. 
two straight seasons of declining batting average, uh, 296 batting average in 21, 267 in 2022, and 258 last season. Free swinging guy, uh, strikeout rate a little over 31%, but uh, definitely going to benefit from being part of a loaded Dodgers lineup uh, in uh, getting out of that Seattle uh, Mariners ballpark where uh, last season batted just 217 with a 643 OPS. Yeah, he's, you know, he's a player who, as far as the counting stats go, I think you can expect something similar, right? Like, even though he's no longer going to be batting near the top of a lineup, there's still potentially 90 RBI batting seventh for the Dodgers right now, right? Sure. Just because the top half of that lineup is so loaded. Uh, with Tasker, you know, he's he's a very aggressive hitter in that, you know, he's not trying to walk, right? Like, his walk rate's like around 6% the last several years, a little below that last season. He is someone who... Uh, our PLV metrics don't love, right? Because they they don't like his decision-making because PLV really prefers patient batters, right? Because like most pitches, you can't do anything with, right? You have to really pick your spots. Tay Oscar tries to pick a lot of spots. Uh, not so much like he's not super aggressive, but he, he is more aggressive than we'd like. And he's not, he's below average at making contact as well. Right. Uh, And and not just like the raw contact percent. I'm talking about our PLV contact ability metric, which is basically how often do we expect you to make contact based on the pitch, based on the location, based on the spin, based on the count, based on what you've seen already. All these like little things. Uh, Tasker Hernandez below average. He's around the 25th percentile making contact decision making. He's like barely better than that. Uh, Really for Teoscar. I mean, unsurprisingly, he's he has a ton of power, right? So he's like 90th percentile power. That's all it is. And that's the thing that makes me worried as he, as he ages again, he's not old, he's 31. He's younger than me, but that skill set does not age very well. Right. It's, it's sort of like all speed running backs in fantasy football, right? Like eventually they lose that step and it's over mm-hmm. right? because they don't break tackles. They don't do any, like they just try to get around the edge. And when you can't do that anymore, you're done. Tay Oscar, he has all that power uh, and you know, he's, he either needs to adapt a little bit if he wants to stay around when he's 34, 35, right? Like there's a reason he got a one year deal, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think a lot of teams are worried about how this skill set ages for Teoscar Hernandez. But again, I mean, if you want to talk about 25, 30 home runs, I mean, 30 home runs is really ceiling. Um, he only did that one time in his like dream perfect 2021 season when he didn't strike out as much and all these things went right for him in Toronto. Um, he's probably like a 25 home run guy who will put up decent counting stats as part of a good Dodger offense. And he'll probably play every day, right? He's not a good fielder, but he's not a bad one. He's probably good enough to stay in the field every day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, batting average won't hurt you, but if you're in like an OBP league or a league that cares about slugging, like those, like his slug was really far down last season in part, just because like he doesn't, he doesn't hit for average anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. So he has like a lot of, he, he just makes more outs. So um, especially OBP leagues, he's got to move down a little bit, but counting stats in 25 home runs. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm down with that, which is basically like, I hope he can be as good as he was last season. Mm. That was also actually the first time he's played more than 143 games as well. So there's a little bit of injury history, like risk here. And like in a five, like five outfield, 15 teamer, like that you, I'd call 140 games, like full season. But mm-hmm. in those 12 team leagues, like, you know, he is going to drop out a little bit. So it's all going to be about how, 
how much better is he than the he, than the replacement level in those three outfielder leagues? That's where Teoscar is interesting. He's going to be rostered in all five outfield leagues, every format. No but doubt. in a three outfield league, he, he'll be rostered, but is he good, right? Is he a difference maker for you? I'm interested to see how that kind of plays out. Yeah, uh, and like you said, I mean, he's going to score a ton of runs. He's going to drive in a ton of runs, even though he's projected to be the seventh hitter in the Dodgers lineup. And definitely going to get a boost just getting out of Seattle. I mean, if you look at his average WRC plus in the three seasons prior to his one season with the Mariners, it was uh, the average WRC plus for him for Teoscar Hernandez was 135. Last season was just 105. So just good for him to get out of that, uh, you know, pitcher friendly environment. And uh, so, so I was just looking at roster resources projected uh, lineup for the Dodgers. And if you just, Take a look at the projections. 231 home runs coming out of there. And there were only two teams who, as a whole, not just, you know, nine players, hit more than 231 home runs last season. So the, uh, on paper, the Dodgers are just going to be a, a juggernaut offense. Well, yeah, I mean, they've got what? how many how many 30 home run threats are on that team? I think it's like, if you count to Oscar Hernandez, it's like five, right? Oh, With, yeah. With Mookie, Freeman, Muncie, mm-hmm. and Hernandez, right? Right. Um, so it'll, I mean, it's going to have a ton of power, and, and there will be plenty of RBI. I'm not sure exactly how many runs he'll score down there. Mm-hmm. It Like, it hurts his overall plate appearance numbers, which also hurts your ability to score runs. But the RBI, get out of here. He's going to have tons of opportunities to drive in runners because the whole first six guys in the lineup are are good like they all have like 330 to 350 obps or better mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so let's take a look at the ramifications of of this signing for the dodgers prior to this it had looked like miguel vargas and michael bush were going to be splitting time playing left field for the dodgers but miguel vargas still part of the organization but obviously his playing time going to be limited now but uh michael bush uh you know, hi- highly regarded for his bat as a minor leaguer, uh, getting new life with the Cubs. He was traded to the Cubs. And like I said, really good minor league pedigree, uh, obviously blocked at first base by Freddie Freeman, uh, an older prospect, 26 years old, uh, triple slash in the minor leagues for his career, 283, 390, 529. Uh, some interesting uh, stats here really cut down his strikeout rate last season. Uh, had a uh, 18.8% K rate in 98 games for the Dodgers AAA team and 26% the year before. Uh, gets the hit in a good hitter's park in Wrigley and finally gets a chance for some everyday at-bats. Uh, also played a, a bunch of second base and third base in his minor league career. So uh, I see Roster Resource has him penciled in as the starting first baseman for the Cubs. Uh, but, uh, you know, Matt Mervis, who was given a, a shot last season and really tanked in uh, uh, batted 167 uh, in what is a tryout in the, in the major leagues. But you got to wonder if he gets really hot during uh, spring training, you know, maybe Matt Mervis could take over first base. And, and because of the ability of uh, Bush playing third, even though he's not really known for his, his glove anywhere. But uh, it might be a better option than Nick Madrigal, who's uh, penciled in as the Cubs third baseman right now. Yeah, I mean, with Madrigal, the guy's just never on the field, right? Mm-hmm. So he's—I mean—he's this speedy, slap-hitting guy. That's like a 
you know, for fantasy purposes, he's like a lesser version of his teammate, Nico Horner. Uh, mm-hmm. It should be high batting average, tons of steals, but Madrigal's never healthy. So expect a position to open up somewhere much like the division, like their sort of division rival in the Reds. The Cubs are just absolutely uh, messy in terms of what their infield is going to look like, right? Between Mervis, who I think they wanted to give a shot, but I'm not sure they can. Uh, you've got, they just took on, you know, Michael Bush, who is a positionless sort of hitting prospect. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christopher Morrell, also pretty much positionless, right? Like he's not a good fielder at any position. Um, you have to play Nico Horner at second base. You've got Dansby Swanson at short. Right. That's locked in. But on the corners, they have no idea what they're going to be doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Like uh, you could see these guys mixing around, especially because Madrigal has got injury problems. Morrell has consistency problems. That I don't see going away yet. He's just such an erratic decision maker. Morrell that it's going to be hard for him to tap into that power speed potential that everybody loves. Uh, it's just, it's very difficult. Uh, and then you've got, uh, you know, Michael Bush, who we just haven't seen very much in the major leagues, but is someone who I think could make a difference for them. Uh, they've also got Patrick wisdom sitting on, you know, sitting on the bench. Who's like a, if he played every day, he's a 30 home run guy who hits 200 mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, but strikes out, you know, 35% of the time, but he's also like, okay at fielding. So he ends up finding playing time. And then, you know, God forbid this team sign Cody Bellinger and try to find a place to put that guy. Right. 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 <laughs> so, uh, you know, th- this team, this team has a messy roster, uh, which makes it hard to believe in any of them getting like full playing time for the whole season. But I think spring training will give us a look at, you know, maybe what April looks like. I expect Morrell to be in the lineup almost every day because he can play lots of positions. He just doesn't play them very well. Um, so I think he, they can find ways to sneak him in, uh, you know, when Madrigal's healthy, I think they want Madrigal in the lineup, uh, for the Cubs, because I think they like what he can do with the glove. I think they like the fact that he's this, you know, this whole second leadoff man thing. He's got a ton of speed and he does, you know, he can hit for a high average. There's only 263 last year, but again, he was hurt all the time. Mm-hmm. So I think they really want to see what they can get out of him. Uh, former white Sox prospect actually. So, you know, this, this team is just crowded. Uh, it's, and so like, I think they can all get time, but someone's going to be the odd man out. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it's not hard to see that being Mervis. Yeah. Who's still, still has the options and his hit tool is definitely behind a guy like Bush. Right. Right. So, so that's where I think the problem is because Mervis is another like high strikeout kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, and, and Bush isn't necessarily, Bush has a, a much better hit tool than that which makes me think that Mervis will be the odd man out because it'll be easy for them to say, Hey, why don't you go work on the strikeouts for a while? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Mervis uh, had a 33.3% whiff rate, only played 27 games in the major leagues, but league average is 24.8. So obviously very high, but the power is, is real at a 13.8 barrel rate and uh, 50% stat cast hard hit rate, uh, both well above the league average. Bush did strike out quite a bit as well in his major league debut for 81 plate appearances. But if you look at the 469 plate appearances in AAA, he struck out only 18.8% of the time. I expect him to be more like a 25% strikeout guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't sound, you know, it doesn't always sound like much. Oh, what's the difference between 25% strikeouts and 30% strikeouts? But like, it's actually a lot, right? It, it matters a lot because just putting the ball in play makes a big difference. 5% of the time, he's getting a chance to put the ball in play or walk 
which means he has a chance to get on base instead of 5% more dead plate appearances and 5%. Again, that's 5% out of like what? 600 over a full season, mm -hmm. the plate appearances. So like that matters. That's like 30 plate appearances, yeah. right? So like 30 dead plate appearances just gone, right? Like that's a week worth, you know, that's almost a week worth of bat bats that you just throw away mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just from strikeouts, which kill. So um, that's, you know, I think that is, that's the thing that's going to hold Mervis back. Right. All right. So uh, we'll see how things shake up. We'll be watching the Cubs spring training uh, very carefully. Um, we tend to focus on hitters in this podcast, but I uh, might as well mention that uh, Shota Imanaga, 30-year-old uh, uh, Japanese pitcher, signed uh, with the Cubs. Signed a four-year, $53 million deal, but a contract could turn to a five-year, $80 million deal if the Cubs exercise a club op option for 2028. And just from a, a fun baseball perspective, I don't know if you saw the clip of him at his press conference uh, addressing the media by speaking English. It was real cool, real fun to see. Hey, Chicago, what do you say? Cubs going to win today. Nice to meet you. Uh, I'm Shoten Managa. Um, and, you know, uh, focus was on Yamamoto, who obviously signed with the Dodgers. But uh, Imanaga has some decent stats over an eight-year career, a 2.96 ERA, 1.076 whip, and uh, some good ratios, 9.4K uh, per nine and a 2.4 walk per nine. So uh, obviously there's some differences uh, that's been talked about in, uh, by people that know pitching better than, than you and I, but uh, the, uh, the ball that the Japanese leagues use is smaller than baseball that's used in the U.S. has better grip uh, and uh, it makes it a little easier to, you know, grab and, and the spin right might be affected that way. But uh, nice signing, I think, for the Cubs. Yeah, and I mean, we, we got to see him. I mean, uh, most of us probably don't remember, and I didn't remember until I, uh, you know, watched just a few clips uh, randomly. He was in the WBC, and he, he has a, you know, that spin rate I think is real. It's going to come over. He's a command and control guy, though. So on one hand, like the strike zone is the strike zone, right? Like they, they don't change it that much mm -hmm. um, between J Japan and here. So uh, when you can hit the corners in one, you can generally hit the corners in the other. Right. And if you can hit the corners in the WBC, you can hit the corners in the in Major League Baseball. Um, the, the thing is, you know, he doesn't have like the big velocity uh, like, you know, other free agents that a lot of times come over. Uh, he doesn't have like a single pitch that you're like, wow, that thing is a killer. Like it's a he's got a lot of spin on the fastball. It's like a rising fastball. So, you know, that'll be interesting to see if he if he can you know deal with that. I think for, you know, for Imanaga, you know, not to you know, belabor any points that Nick and other smart pitching people have made. He's got, you know, home runs are what I'm going to be watching for just that. Right. Cause I don't think strikeouts and walks are going to be a problem. I think it's going to potentially be home runs. Um, when you only throw 92 and you don't have this like big, you know, this like killer breaking ball that'll mm -hmm. take guys away. Right. Like that means when you miss, you're probably getting a ball that goes, you know, into the stands. Right. So how often is he, is he missing? How is, is his command and control going to fail him when he comes over to the U S and has a, an all new, you know, so a new team, a new, uh, you know, a new thing he has to do. You know, he has got a new routine. He's got 
he's got everything different, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And it's hard to undersell that, right? Like that is a big deal coming over to the US. Sure. It can take a lot of, you know, shifting. It's great that he knows the language a bit more than other players, but right. even players that come from, you know, Latin America, right? Like knowing the language is a big deal because you know what people around you are saying. If right. you've ever been somewhere where you don't know what people around you are saying, it's a weird thing that happens in your brain. You sure. become very paranoid. Yeah, all you do is like, you, know, you, put a, you put the silly smile on your face and you nod, <laughs> right? Yeah. If you, you don't, don't know what's, what's going, going on. on. Right. Yeah, like I actually, you know, my I'm always very sensitive. Both of my parents are deaf. I don't know if I've mentioned that that much mm-hmm. on this podcast, but like mm-hmm. it happens to them all the time because lip sure. reading is hard unless someone's staring you in the face. So a lot of times a bunch of people are talking, they have no idea what's going on. It's right. a, and, it, and it makes for a lot of uncomfortableness. So I'm not saying like, Imanaga, I think, is going to transition just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a human side of things that can make things more difficult, and it's all command and control. Right. Right. Like, I, I just don't see a pitch that is, you know, like uh, when players come over, we usually talk about, like, for pitchers, there's often this thing where, like, oh, he's got, like, this, he's got this fork ball that's devastating, right? Or he's got this, like you know, uh, <laughs> old, old Dice K with, like, oh, he's got the, the gyro ball. Like, it's right. all this stuff going on. Uh, Imanaga doesn't have that. He's, mm-hmm. he's a great command pitcher with 92 mile an hour velocity. Mm-hmm. So again, we see guys in the major leagues succeed like this. It's cool. just really hard. The margin for error is really small. So, yeah. um, you know, good for the Cubs for signing him. I think he'll be a decent play, but the upside is really capped because mm-hmm. he's a command and control guy. I mean, how many other, how many guys in the top 10 do we say throw 92? Right. Not, not many these days, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, it's hard to succeed that way. Yeah. So I, I think 20 years ago, maybe, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a top 50 pitcher here for sure. Top 40 pitcher, maybe top 30 starts to get tough. You got to be real pinpoint. Mm-hmm. Like it's sort of like the Martin Perez path to victory, except I think Imanaga is a little better than that. But mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's what we have. So you're going to see volatility because he needs everything to be resting on his command. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nesta Cortez comes to mind when you talk about a guy who's been successful without throwing the ball hard, but also yeah, from a, a lot of, but he does it with a lot of deception. Yes, he does. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to, to hit the point harder about the human aspect, it does help that uh, say a Suzuki's on that roster, right? So they uh, Suzuki could kind of, you know, uh, walk Imanaga through what he's going to expect uh, a little bit and that also helped with uh, Yamamoto having Otani there I mean Otani can attract any player Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah he did he did it with Glasnow he's like hey come play with us you're gonna love it yeah okay I'll be right there I'll be right there imagine getting a text like even if you're like you know you're you're a major league player like an all-star caliber player there's still probably some level of like oh my god I just got texted by Shohei Otani right 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 like Mm -hmm. just like you know just sort of like the whole like I just got a text from Mike Trout I just got a text from Freddie Freeman Mookie Mm -hmm. Betts like that's a big deal yes like and I love hearing about that side of the game I Mm -hmm. really do because we don't like it's funny when I first started doing baseball analysis I was all numbers all the time right? Don't tell me about the human stuff. Numbers, numbers, numbers. And the deeper I go into this and this, like I meet more and more people that are like smart, been around a long time. They are always more fascinated by the human side than the number side, right? The numbers are cool, but there's, they're just a starting point. The human side always tells us so much about like, they'll say like, Oh yeah. You know, like so-and-so was dealing with this, like on the mental side. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. And it's something that we can't get from numbers. It's also something that like can explain numbers that don't otherwise make sense. Right. Uh, you know, to, to hit that point a little harder, the human side, you know, uh, we think nothing about saying, oh, well, you know, this player's just got traded or is expected to be traded. So think about 
you know, you have a family and you're settled in your area, right? And then all of a sudden, there's rumors that you might get traded, you know, to a team 2,000 miles away or, you know, 1,000 miles away. And all of a sudden, so you need to, uh, you, you know, for, for the rest of the season, you're going to be separated from your family. When on in home games, you were able to, you know, go maybe and, and hang out with your kids and stuff. Uh, so you're right. There is a human aspect that, you know, can't be explained away just by looking at numbers, you know. And I'll tell you, it's another thing, you know, we, we talk about players getting MRIs all the time, right? And we, we don't even think twice about it. I, I took an MRI yesterday, have an issue with my shoulder. And, you know, you have 20 minutes to just like basically just sit in that tube and you think and you hear all these loud noises going off. And I'm like, you know, you know, a lot of pitchers and baseball players and, and even football players, they go through these MRIs. We we think nothing of it, but it's an it's 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 a, it's a thing, you know. It's it's scary, man. Yeah, yeah. You're stuck even in the tube. <laughs> yeah, even if you're not afraid of like magnets in small spaces, yeah. right? Like, yeah. it's scary because you're just like, I hope I'm okay. Right. Right. Especially when like your money making future depends on it. Right. Right. Like, right. It, yeah. It's intense, man. Yeah. So it's a good good point to bring up the human aspect of of, of sports and analysis so uh i think this would be a good spot for us to take a break when we come back uh, we wanted to touch on uh, some uh, breakout players and do a little bit of an analysis and uh, determine whether or not they could repeat their performances in the 2024 season we're going to spend some time on a crowded reds roster going to be fun talking about uh, all the reds players uh, that uh, broke out last season and we'll talk about all of that right after this all right, we're back. Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. Joe Galena and Scott Chu. Uh, give us a follow. Follow me on X. I'm finally giving in. I'm going to call it X. It's uh, at Joe Galena. And follow my buddy, Scott Chu, at If the Chew Fits. So, um, as I tease right before our little break, going to talk about some players who broke out last season, try to figure out if. They've got the tools to repeat in the 2024 season. And I thought we'd start with the Reds, Scott. And we were talking about it right before we started our recording here about what a crowded roster the Reds have. And then all of a sudden, they add to it <laughs> by uh, picking up Jamer Candelario. And he's... Uh, penciled in as the Reds starting first baseman, which is interesting. That's by roster resource. I mean, roster resource is, by definition, a good resource, but it's, you know, not definitive. But you know a lot about uh, Jamer Candelario from his time with the Tigers. Last season had a 251 average, 22 homers, 70 RBI, and eight stolen bases. But uh, I'll just do a quick overview of some of the Reds players we might want to talk about. Christian and Carcion Strand, uh, you know, he, he played, uh, it looked like he was going to be inheriting first base from Joey Votto. But again, roster resource has him uh, as a backup at this stage. Um, we'll talk about, we can even talk about Ellie Dela Cruz. I mean, uh, he had uh, a very exciting player, but I know this might sound sacrilegious, but it's almost like he might be more uh, fun for me to watch play than have him on my fantasy teams. <laughs> you know, batted 184 versus lefties, so uh, home away splits were pretty bad, too. Matt McLean, uh, Spencer Steer, Noel V. Marte, a lot of good young talent 
on this Reds roster. And other than, you know, Encarnacion Strand and Ellie De La Cruz, none of them really have extreme splits. So I'm wondering, you know, if one of these guys just goes into a, a an extreme slump, you know, one of these guys could end up getting sent down to the minor leagues. And, and where is this? What we were talking about this before the the podcast before we start recording. Where does this leave Jonathan India? You know, uh, maybe a, 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 in a trade for a pitcher. Yeah. So the like as it stands right now, two things stand out to me. Number one, all these guys except Ellie De La Cruz are right-handed. So it's not like they can platoon with each other, mm-hmm. right? Like they're all sort of in the same ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that's, that stands out to me about um, these guys is that as of right now, I don't think I can project any of them for more than 130 games, right? Mm-hmm. And some of them less, right? So India less because he's got durability issues as well. Um, he is the one that may be the most likely to be traded, I guess. Um, he's actually got a bunch of options, like, but but I don't see how you send him down. He's 27 years old. Uh, right now, you know, they, they say he's probably slotted in at DH, but he's, he's not a bad second baseman. It's Mm -hmm. not like in Chicago where they had these two really strong fielding infielders and guys that, you know, are going to play up the middle and they just don't know what to do at the corners. You can sort of mix and match this entire infield all over the place because Candelario plays first and third steer plays first, third in the corner outfields. McLean can play second or short. Mm -hmm. Uh, Marte's probably just a third baseman. So it's almost like, but, but then De La Cruz is a shortstop and third baseman, right? So they basically have ways to leave. Oh yeah. And of course, Encarnacion strand can play first and third. He probably better at first, but he could play third. So you actually have like two guys or more at every infield position they have. So, I think it's mixed around. I, I really hope that um, someone else becomes the odd man out and not Christian Encarnacion Strand because his power is so legitimate. You know, I, I post the rolling charts in my articles every chance I get. This dude has 90th percentile power. Uh, he's someone who can, re- if like, if other than Ellie De La Cruz, who has like the supreme power and speed, but needs to improve his decision making. Um, it, which did get better at the end of last season, which is a big deal. Like it very consistently got better towards the end of last season. Decision-making was good. The contact ability is always there. Um, it just, you know, it looks like he doesn't know how to make contact because he swings at things that like nobody can hit. But with, with Encarnacion Strand, besides Ellie De La Cruz, Encarnacion Strand is the guy who, if you told me one of these rookies becomes a top 15 hitter, which would be insane. But if one of them became a top 15 hitter, if it's not Ellie De La Cruz, it's, Christian Encarnacion Strand. He's got that kind of contact and power ability mm-hmm. to be that. Whereas McLean, Steer, India, uh, Marte, they can be very, very good. I don't know if any of them have a top 15 ceiling, right? Or top tw- even top 25. I think it'd be very difficult for any of them to break into the top 25, which is loaded with talent. Encarnacion Strand and Ellie De La Cruz can. So I want those two guys to play as much as possible. Uh, Matt McClain, someone who, um, really started out the season with like this crazy high batting average, but it was really driven by line drives mm-hmm. and line drive rate is the flukiest thing out there. Very few players have line drive rates that stay above like 20, 25%. Matt McClain had like a 30 something percent line drive rate for a lot of the season. We talked about it in our podcast last year where I said, look, those line drives, a bunch of those are going to turn into fly balls, which means McClain can be more of a 25 home run guy but the mm-hmm. batting average is going to drop. And so that's still kind of what I expect from Matt McClain. 
I'm going to talk about their stats as if they got a full season, even though right now it just, I don't see how it happens. But McLean, he's probably like a 25 home run guy who can steal 15, you know, maybe 20 bases in the current environment, depending on how things work out, uh, but not a 290 hitter. Right? Agreed. Like Agreed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I it's almost like you're reading my notes. I kind of projected him 258, 23 homers, 70 RBI, 20 stolen bases. I, I yeah, think so this was a guy in the minor leagues, McLean, who hit a ton of fly balls and never hit line drives. Mm-hmm. For some reason, he started out in the majors hitting a bunch of line drives. Don't ask me why. I, I don't think it was like an approach change, right? Because over the season, it sort of like comes back down a bit. Uh, I, I think that turns back into... Um, fly balls, which again, that's what we want from McLean, mm-hmm. right? Because he plays in great American ballpark for half the season, like hit fly balls, please <laughs> like right. get those things out of that little band box and get your home runs 25, maybe in a perfect season, he gets close to 30. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, I think he can definitely do that while hitting 260. Not unlike a player we might talk about a little bit later, like sort of a Brandon Drury type. Mm-hmm. Right, like he can have that kind of power, just not with a two ninety batting average. So you know, I, on, I like him a lot. Stop one second, Ellie De La Cruz. Does it concern you that I, I noticed that his ground ball rate increased as the season went on? Uh, and you talk about his power, and yeah, definitely has power. Uh, obviously, the speed is is well known, hundred percent sprint speed. But does that concern you at all in terms of you know his production? <clears throat> yes, but so. Um, Number, you know, the biggest thing about that ground ball rate is we didn't see that a lot in the minor leagues. So it's not as though he has a long history. So Jordan Walker had high ground ball rates all through the minors. Took him, took him a while in the majors to really start fixing that. Ellie De La Cruz, a little different. A lot of that ground ball rate problem comes from his decision making. He mm. swings at stuff that you can't do anything but hit a ground ball, right? Mm-hmm. Like when the ball is like dropping below the zone, when you hit it, you're probably hitting it with the bottom of the barrel of the bat and you're probably hitting it right into the ground, right? Like bad ball hitters tend to hit a lot of ground balls in chunks. We actually see this with Austin Hayes at times where he just starts grounding the ball constantly because he's, you know, he's swinging at bad pitches, Right. Like he's just the first example that came to my mind of a bad ball hitter. But that's what happens a lot. When you swing at pitches that are hard to hit, you tend to turn them into one of two things Um, easy fly balls, like infield flies, right? Because you're chasing stuff up. Uh, Or when you're chasing things that are getting away from you or down, those tend to turn into ground balls. And it's horrible because they, and they turn into nothing, maybe a single if you're lucky and fast. Mm -hmm. So, Ellie De La Cruz, if he continues to work on the decision making, I think the ground balls start to go back down below 50%, probably mm-hmm. closer to 45. I think that, and when we see it in Ellie De La Cruz with a 45% ground ball rate, we're probably seeing the type of Ellie De La Cruz that we've been waiting for. Right. Because that's telling us that the decision making is good. He's swinging at pitches that he can't merely smack to the shortstop. Right. Right. Or and I will base, say, depending on which side he's hitting from. Based on what you're saying, his O swing rate improved as the season went on. Uh, I think by August 25th, it was, uh, let's see, it, it was 36 and a half. And by his 98th game of the season, it was down to 27. So we did see a little improvement in that. So, yeah, and, you know, our PLV metrics suggest that he was really improving on the decision-making end. Mm-hmm. And he always makes, like, his contact ability per PLV is really high because he will make contact with things that most major leaguers have no chance of getting mm-hmm. their bat on. Right. So again, the the skills are really high. It's really the maturity and mental part of the game that needs to happen for him. There, it's very difficult to know when that's going to happen. But the reason I love 
when a guy just has to work on decision-making, which was sort of like O'Neill Cruz a while ago, who's an easy comp to make because they're both these big, giant, uh, tooled-up prospects with speed and power and all kinds of superlative skills, but who struggled with decision-making. The reason I like that is because decision-making is the one thing that you can get better at without playing baseball, mm-hmm. right? Like, you can simulate this, right? You can do this in practice. It's really hard to get better hand-eye coordination. It's really hard to get more game power. Mm-hmm. But if there's one thing coaching can help you with, it's decision-making. It's pitch recognition. So coming out of the hand, what do you see? What kind of pitch is that? How's it going to move? And number two, should you swing at that, right? What spots are you picking to swing at based on what this pitcher has to offer, right? So you can talk like that is something that you can do mentally without having to, again, be on the field and just, you know, working on the hand eye, working on all that. You, he doesn't need that. He just needs the mental part. It can mm-hmm. be very hard to do. It's certainly not easy because if it was easy, everybody would do it. Right. But it is something that we have seen young players make big steps forward specifically on this, right? We talked about Miguel Vargas earlier to be a fantasy powerhouse. He kind of had to be stronger. Mm -hmm. Like he needed to like, he was a great decision maker. He just had to be stronger or faster, right? Like those are things that are very hard to do, but with Ellie day, the Cruz, he just needs to make better decisions. He just needs to know when to swing the bat, right? Like that's it, right? Like it's funny. You and I, Joe are as good as anybody in the world at not swinging a bat. (laughs) <laughs> right? Like I can stand with the back of my shoulder. Right? Like you can teach people to not swing. Right. Right. Like what's hard to do. I mean, some players never want to learn this lesson. Uh, my, you know, near and dear to my heart tigers, Javi Baez is never going to be that kind of player. Mm-hmm. So he has to kind of figure out other ways to, to stay in the game. Like maybe start eliminating certain pitches from his selection criteria, which is like every pitch all the time. But uh, with Ellie De La Cruz, like he just needs to work on the mental side. And then he can be like that superstar. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's a lot about those two guys. The reason I talk about so much about those two guys is like Spencer Steer is not for fantasy purposes, not a special player. He's like this guy that's probably always going to live somewhere in the top 75 to top 125 ish, assuming he's playing every day. He's got enough power to be relevant, but he's not a guy who's going to hit for a high average. He's not really a runner, right? Like he right. had 15 stolen bases and that's as much as you should ever expect from him. I think right. like 10 never, is probably never had pretty- close to that in his minor league career. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. So, so probably like it's, we- he's batting third, which is cool. Cause that'll help his counting stats. Mm-hmm. But you know, he's, he's a, you know, he's sort of like, he's a versatile corner guy, but he's not like, you know, th- there's not more ceiling really than what you saw. 25 ish home runs. 10 stolen bases, decent ratios. His biggest asset is first, second, third base outfield eligibility. um, Just to, uh, you know, based on on what you said, you're right. Hard hit rate, battle rate, just about league average. No obvious weaknesses, right? When you look at his batting average against fastballs, breaking balls, off speed, they're all 266 to 273. Very even keel. So I, I think that we know kind of you know what his floor is i mean his 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 ceiling might not be too high but that's okay no it's a really it, it's yeah. a really tight band yeah. the, the floor and ceiling they're mm-hmm. they're not that far apart which is mm-hmm. very valuable but it's the versatility that makes him sort of really interesting in those 12 team three outfield leagues because you can sort of throw him all over the place oh yeah have him be good yeah and he can go on runs where he's obviously like more productive than that but he's this guy that's like should be rostered Right. He's probably better than what's in the free agent pool, but he's also not someone that like 
you know, that they throw that terminal on league winner, Spencer mm-hmm. steer, ain't that guy. No, that's just not the, that's not the tool set he has. It's mostly hit tool. Um, and that, and that grants him some power, particularly as a red, right. like that's really what Spencer steer is. So you know, don't get, don't get enamored. Be like, Oh man, if he did that in his first season, what's the next season? 25, 30. No, it's 25 tops. Right. Pre- like preseason he drafters, and hit 23. Right. But preseason drafters are putting a value on not only his hit tool, but the versatility. Cause you look at his, uh, NFBC ADP, uh, it's one Oh six. And the consensus fantasy pros ADP one thirty four. So that's you know, it's exactly what right. the NFBC loves. Mm-hmm. A guy who runs a little, plays every single freaking day, and can play all over because that makes him also middle infield and corner uh, infield eligible, right. and all those outfield spots. That's a big roster you got to fill, right. right? Especially in something like draft champions where there's no free agent acquisitions. Spencer Steer flies way up the board in that very specific format, which is driving a lot of that ADP right now. Mm-hmm. So that I mean, he's someone who in a standard 12 team league, like it's hard. It's hard to unless you've played both formats, it's really hard to feel the difference between NFBC and standard 12 team. Mm-hmm. Right. They're not like necessarily harder than each other, but it's a very different strategy because in NFBC draft champions, you need versatile guys because you never know. Like I had a league that was a draft champions league and I had to play like half the season with no shortstop because I only had two guys with the eligibility because of it was a flaw in my draft. And I mean, I still did really well in the league because everyone else was so good, but like I had no shortstop for most of the year, mm-hmm. right? Because I didn't, I didn't draft one. Right. Like the one guy I had was a guy who ended up only playing like two or three times a week. So uh, because my main one, O'Neill Cruz, went down early and then my one guy lost time. It was it was rough. So like NFBC is going to love Spencer Steer for all that versatility and dependable outcomes. Mm-hmm. Right. A very safe, mm-hmm. nice pick in that format. Whereas in standard 12 team, you're never going to have times longer than one day or whatever your waiver period is where you don't have a guy to plug in at a position who's decent, right? Because the, the replacement level is so high. Mm -hmm. So like all that versatility all of a sudden stops mattering because you're probably, if you have Spencer steer in a Yahoo three outfield league, you're almost never going to use him in the outfield unless Mm -hmm. like it's a daily league and he's playing on a day when no one else is playing. That's it. He's just, cause he's not going to be one of the top, you know, what is it? 36 outfielders. He's just not. That's not the kind of guy he is. So, I mean, he will be in that range, but towards the bottom, he's more likely useful to you as a first baseman, second baseman, third baseman, whatever else sure, you're plugging sure. in at. But, you know, he's he's good at all of them, but he's not like a great piece at any of them. Right. In a 12-teamer. So, uh, I think you brought up a good point in terms of trying to project these uh, Reds players that would be tough to figure out how each of them might play more than 130 games. I mean, so of these players that we've mentioned on the Reds, who are you worried about the most? Oh, it's Jonathan India. Um, unless he gets traded, he's a guy that's just, you know, between, because with, with Jonathan India, it's kind of two pieces, right? It's not just that. He's a, an okay talent who's also been really prone to slumps the last few years, uh, partially due to injury, partially, I think, just due to MLB being hard. Right. Uh, but he's also got the injury problem. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you start putting both those together, he's the one where it's like, 
that projection probably for me starts it. If he's, if you told me he's a red all season, I say, okay, 110, 120. Hmm. Right. Cause like someone else might get hurt. He'll get time. He'll get time at DH. Um, he'll, he'll probably play against most lefties, I guess. Although this is a very right-handed heavy team. So like, it's not like they're dying for guys to play against left-handed pitching. Um, he's probably the infielder I'm worried the most about. Whereas I think De La Cruz, uh, when healthy plays every single day, because the reds know what they have in Ellie De La Cruz. I don't think they want to protect him too much unless he's really slumping. Um, steer because of the versatility i think he's a good bet to get to 140 um because he can play in the infield and the outfield he's really the only one of these guys that can do that so he's probably pretty safe on playing time but again high ceiling or sorry high high floor low ceiling kind of guy mm -hmm. um like it's weird because they want all these guys to play every day but it's just going to be hard to do india's the one who even if he's playing well might miss that cutoff because he gets hurt mm-hmm and you wonder if uh, the Reds missed out on trading him, you know, based on his, you know, trade value in real life baseball. Uh, you know, they were trying to move him last season, but was hurt for a while. So uh, we'll see. But uh, I agree with you. He's probably the odd man out. Um, and if they do move him, then maybe Jamar Candelaria becomes the team's DH and maybe. Uh, you know, uh, Christian Encarnacion Strand becomes the everyday first baseman. Yeah, Encarnacion Strand. So roster resource has him as the odd man now. I, I just don't think that's going to be the case. Like this dude's power is too legitimate. He hits for too good of an average to say like, yeah, we'll leave that on the bench. I just right. don't see how they do that. Right. Okay. Uh, good spot for us to take our second break of the show. Uh, when we come back, we'll uh, talk about Chaz McCormick, Royce Lewis. A few other players We're talking about breakouts and their potential to repeat in the 2024 season. You're listening to Hacks and Jacks, and we'll talk about all of that right after this. We're back. Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. Joe Galena. You can follow me at Joe Galena. Follow my man, Scott Chu, at If the Chew Fits. And uh, subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review, whether it's good or bad. We'll take it. We're, we're you know, we're adults. <laughs> I'd like to hear back from you. Get some, some Speak feedback. Speak for yourself, Joe. <laughs> well, mentally, I'm a child, but, uh, you know, chronologically, I'm, I'm, I'm an adult. But um, so uh, we've been covering players that have had uh, big 2023 seasons, big, you know, breakout, whatever you want to call it, trying to figure out if they could build upon it uh, in the 2024 season. And, and let's talk about Chaz McCormick, Astros outfielder. Uh, NFBC ADP 163. Remember, five outfielder leagues. 201 ADP per Fantasy Pros consensus stats. So uh, it looks like he might be getting some more regular playing time because Michael Brantley retired. Uh, also, Dusty Baker retired, and they had some kind of a underlying issue, it looked like, uh, you know, the manager and player. But uh, he did have a nice season, uh, played 115 games last year. 22 home runs, 19 stolen bases, um, 273 batting average, good OBP of 353. Uh, expected stats point to a potential downturn. Statcast expected uh, batting average, 248. Pitcher list is even more extreme, though. Pitcher list expecting batting average uh, is 213. And by the way, if you're not checking out the pitcher list, uh, player pages, uh, you're doing yourself a disservice as you you know prep for the season. So really, uh, you know, check them out if you can. Um, expected home runs, 
he uh, hit 23 uh, expected home runs per stack cast 20.7. Uh, so, uh, what do you say about uh, Chaz McCormick in terms of? Do you believe in in his uh, twenty twenty three season? Can he build on, on it? Uh, build on it eh, by playing more. Um, and he will. I think, I think he will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do too. One hundred fifteen games last year. Um, <clears throat> sort of very inconsistent in some ways. Like it's weird to be like good and inconsistent, but that's sort of what Chaz McCormick does. A big part of that. <clears throat> really last season was driven by something we talked about a lot. Uh, it got better towards the end of the season, but zone contact. So how often he hits pitches that are in the zone mm-hmm. um, that, you know, that he swings at, like it's really important that you can hit strikes, right? Mm-hmm. When you choose to swing at a strike, you need to be able to hit a strike. And McCormick is not, not that good at it. Um, his zone contact rate ended up being above 80%. But to me, 80% is the cutoff. Again, I talk about this a lot in season guys that are making contact in the zone less than 80% of the time pose a problem because it's being a classic example of this was like Mickey Moniak, uh, Mm -hmm. just a guy who you can't miss strikes that often and be consistent. Right. right. You can get away with it for a while, but eventually that bottom falls out. So I, it was nice to see McCormick improve on this, but it's, you know, as far as the home runs go, I think the 20 to 25 home run power in a full season, that's real. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he'll, he'll beat his expected home runs because he plays in a park that, that you can sort of do this with. Uh, he pulls the ball a bit. So I think he can do that. I think the batting average is a fraud. You know, like a 273, that's just not his skill set. You know, the expected stats, you know, pitcherless expected stats will differ more because we add batted ball direction into the mix. Mm-hmm. And usually that improves a player's expected stats. And with McCormick, it makes them worse. Right, right, which right. Is, which is odd. So um, <clears throat> that that's problematic. I think he's probably a 250 hitter, 260 in a good season, 240 in a bad one. Uh, so, you know, that that's a bit of a concern. Um you know, in 12 teamers, I just don't see a need to draft the guy. Um, or, or like you can as like your third outfield, second utility guy, mm-hmm. right? But like he hits towards the bottom of this lineup, which is still good, but it's not necessarily great. Um, other than at the very top, he's someone who, you know, he does put enough balls in play. He walks these kinds of things. So like in an OBP league, I think he's worth drafting, but in a standard league, man, I, it's tough. I think, you know, there's a path to being a 20 home run, 20 stolen base guy in a full season. I think season. so. Yes. Um, but it's like, is there more than that? I don't think so. Right. Because mm-hmm. again, he's, um, unless we see continued improvement in the zone contact, uh, you know, uh, at pitcher list, you know, he, we've got those PLV stuff and like with decision value, it was really erratic. There was times when he was just an absolute amazing decision maker. He ends the season not being so good in part because he just gets more aggressive. I think as the season goes on, Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, even that was not super consistent. He was never that aggressive, but the contact ability. So the contact ability was really interesting because um, unsurprisingly for a guy with a bad zone contact rate, uh, you'll, you'll find that your contact ability at PLV is terrible, mm-hmm. right? And it was, he was 25th percentile or worse for most of the season, but for the last about 200 swings, right? He had about 925 swings on the season. The last 200 of them, he starts looking average and better, mm-hmm. right? So that player, right? If we start seeing that spring training, we probably won't have this stuff, but you know, early in the season, if like through April, 
we see a guy who's showing like league average or better contact ability. All of a sudden, now we might be looking at this 25 home run, 20 stolen base guy who hits 260 to 270, mm-hmm. right? Um, who's definitely going to play all the time, right? Like it's going to be hard to take his spot away when he's playing that well consistently. Um, that is really where I think everything turns because if he goes back to being this guy who has like 75 to 78% zone contact, it's just going to be too erratic. I, I think it's going to be hard for him to play every day because they're going to think they have a better option against certain pitchers because McCormick is just really inconsistent and, and managers just play that way. Baker does that to an extreme, but you know, and you say like, Oh, well, there's not anyone else. Like you can find a corner outfielder. <laughs> you can do that. Uh, on well, the three outfield the league. Yes, no doubt. Yeah. So yeah. like it, it's, you know, I, I do think he's like, he mostly played left field and center last season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he can play 130 to 150 games, but it really, to me, it's all about, does he keep making contact in the zone more than 80% of the time? Um, and that is, that's how he becomes a consistent player. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to see. I don't want, if he goes back to this 75, 77% zone contact, I'm out. Then, then it's just riding hot streaks until they stop. Mm. Yeah, so I talked about pitcher list uh, player pages, and, and like you referenced, uh, pitcher list rolling uh, ability charts, and you mentioned the decision value, and yeah, I saw that. Really took a, it peaked kind of midway through the season, his decision value, and, and took a big uh, drop, and then started come creeping back up. But I also noticed to accentuate your argument about his uh, zone contact. I mean, his strike zone judgment really took a hit. At about that same time, right midway through the season, his strike zone judgment per the PLV uh, rolling charts uh, really started uh, trending downward big time uh, after midway through the season. He he started expanding the zone. It didn't hurt his overall production that much. He wasn't very good in Mm -hmm. September compared to, you know, June, July, August. But um, if that's the basement, that's fine. I don't love that kind of erratic play. And it, it's hard to know exactly what's happening here, but I do know that when when he puts the ball in play, it's pretty good. It's just that he doesn't always do that. Right. All right. So let's move on to Twins third baseman, Royce Lewis. 47 ADP in NFBC leagues, uh, 55.3 in Fantasy Pros consensus ADP. And dealt with uh, injuries last season, became on strong over the last two months of the season. Had a really big AO wild card series, which kind of opened people's eyes, uh, baseball fans' eyes, and uh, finished the season playing 58 games, 309 batting average with a 921 OPS. I know I loved him because I had him in my Tout Wars League. I picked him up as a waiver wire ad. Uh, but do you think that he could put this uh, injury bug behind him? Is that his He's- biggest problem (laughs) the last time royce lewis played 75 games in a season across all levels combined was 2019 Mm -hmm. uh he just i mean then he i mean he tore his acls he he's done all kinds of stuff so let's start with like the positive right every metric i have if with plv with everything tells me this is a very very good hitter who got better as he played yeah right like he, he became a very, very high level player, very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. The talent, there's a reason this guy was a top prospect for years and years, even when he kept not playing for a whole season. Nobody took this guy out of their top 50 because he's got ability, period, plain and simple. No question on the ability when he's on the field. Of course, the only problem is when is he on the field? 
Last season, he played, uh, let's see, 72 games. Um, that's more than he played in 2022. He didn't play in 2021. He didn't really play in 2020. Uh, 2019, he played like mostly a full season in high A and double A. Right? Like it's just been a long time since this guy has played a half season of baseball. Mm-hmm. Right? That's not even talking about a full season. Right? Like it's so. I'm not going to be the only one who does this. It's so easy to make the comp to Byron Buxton, um, in terms of risk, not in terms of what's going to happen. I want to make that very clear. I'm not saying Royce Lewis is going to be hurt like Bucks Byron Buxton was always hurt. What I'm saying is the risk assessment we have to make is similar to the one that we made to Byron Buxton in his early and good years, right? Because it's like, look, this guy might not play. It's, it's insane. Like the, his talent is so good that the NFBC draft champions who are usually very, very, very sensitive to injury risk are willing to take this guy with like a top 40 pick, right? They're throwing it out the window. Yeah. Yeah, they're willing to do that with it for a guy who might play. Like, is it like right now, you know, they're projecting, you know, uh, uh, Steamer for what it's worth and Fangraph depth charts, which is like sort of an adjusted version of, of Steamer right now, are projecting Royce Lewis at 138 games. Cool. Like, nobody's doing that in reality. Hmm. When you do your projections, if you do them or if you tweak existing projections or just try to figure out what you think a player's going to play, if you have more than 100 on Royce Lewis, it's because you want to you want to take the gamble. And in 12-team leagues with three outfield, I love it, right? The, those shorter rosters, just do it, man. You've got IL spots, mm-hmm. right? Do it. Take the gamble because this is a guy who can be a top 30 hitter, right? top 35, right? No doubt about it. Yeah, like when you said, yeah, pitcher list, uh, rolling charts, contact ability, uh, rising throughout the season, power uh, rolling charts for uh, PLV, rising throughout the season. Everything. Uh, yeah, hitter performance. Yeah, it's amazing. It's all there. Mm-hmm. All the, like, and just kept getting better, mm-hmm. right? But like, and you know, he doesn't strike, he doesn't have a strikeout problem. He walks slightly above major league average. This is a guy who can definitely hit 280, 290. Right, he hit 309 in his 58 games. This is a guy who can definitely hit 25 to 30 home runs. This is a definitely a guy who can steal 15 to 20 bases if healthy. Uh, I think that's probably going to be more like 15, even if he is healthy, because they don't want him to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Like you just hate to lose this guy and stealing a base, and it is a potential injury event. Um, and it's not like this guy has one thing that's been hurt. Right, it's like his legs. Right, like his legs have just been hurt. Mm-hmm. Right hamstring acl i mean you name it like it's been a problem so again this is i mean he's been he's been in the major league periphery since 2017 we've always loved him we've always hated how much he's hurt so again like you got to take that in but using a top 50 like i i I don't know if i can do 35 like that's so high Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's so high like 35 that's 35 like overall Better have a backup plan. Yeah. What would you do? Would you, would you, would you, let's say, draft uh, Alec Bohm later on? I mean, because uh, yeah, you need to. How many players currently that are going in the top 40 overall mm. are someone that we think is, who, who's someone who is like hard to project for more than half a season? Mm. No. Right? Like Otani's got injury problems, but like he plays like even, even his like worst season, he plays like a hundred something games, mm-hmm. right? Like, so this is, it's, it's an extreme risk play, but you can do that early because you can mitigate it later on, especially in shallow leagues. 
I don't know if you have to wait necessarily for Alec Bohm, but just like have, as long as you've got some stable, I mean, guys can be injured till they're not right. Guys right. are durable till they aren't anymore, but players who consistently play a lot. If you've taken one or two hitters right off the bat, uh, you know, you've got one or two pitchers or one or two hitters. Maybe you've got a pitcher. You're like looking in your fourth, fifth, sixth round in a, in a Yahoo league. Um, and you feel really safe about what you got, man, go for it. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't know about top 35 overall. That's really high. Yeah, NFBC, Royce Lewis, sixth, third baseman coming off the board. Alec Bohm, 14th. Uh, Jake Berger, who we talked about in the last podcast, 15th. You know, Max Muncie, Brian Hayes after that. Uh, Isaac uh, Paredes. Really, you like him. Yeah, I know you I really think I'll be – oh, I love Isaac Paredes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really want to see Royce Lewis make it to pick like 50, Mm. 50 overall like that, that like once I might even take him earlier, depending on what I've, what I've got going on, how I've got a feel for the room. I really want the guy, but at pick 50, he's still on the board. I'm thinking, okay, right. Like now we're talking, now we're talking, right? Because this is a top, you know, this is a guy who can be a top 25 overall hitter. If he plays all season, even if he doesn't, he can find a path to being a top 50 to 75 player without playing the whole season. He right. can do that in 120, 100, 120 games, right. this kind of talent. So Royce Lewis, it's all injury risk management. Mm-hmm. I mean, just risk management in general, yep. right? Like that that's just what you're doing. And again, there will be certain times in a draft where I might have to take him off my board because I know that I've taken some more injury-prone guys early on, right? Or maybe I've, you know, it just so happened that I'm – if through three rounds, I've got two pitcher, one hitter fourth rounds coming up. And I think it, you know, if I don't take Royce Lewis now, I can't take him. That means I can't take him. Right. Right. Because I, I can't have my second hitter on my roster be Royce Lewis because I might not get to use him ever. Right. Right. So it, it's going to be a very like team build kind of thing. Uh, but again, around pick 50, almost every team build can start accommodating, accommodating that it's uh-huh. when you want to take him before pick 50 that I think it's going to be tough. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, Brandon Drury is somebody I wanted to talk about real quick. I mean, uh, when we talked about doing this episode, we talked about players, whether, you know, believe it or not, do you believe in last season's, um, you know, production? Can they repeat? And now Brandon Drury, um, is it it time to start believing in this guy? Now, two straight seasons, very consistent uh, 2022 season, 28 home runs, 87 RBI, 263 batting average, 813 OPS. Follows that up with 26 home runs, 83 RBI, 262 batting average, and an 803 OPS. Very, very consistent over the past uh, two seasons. Finally putting together, uh, you know, uh, over 125 games played. Played 125 last season, 138 in 2022. Another thing I like about this guy, not only the you know, 25 plus home runs that he's hit in each of the last two seasons. Power looks real because he hit 31 doubles in 2022 and 30 doubles in 2023. Uh, and both stat cast and pitcher list expected batting average show him in the low 250 range. So he's not going to kill you that way. No, we, we were all wrong on, on Brandon jury going into, you know, 2023. I say all, I mean, really everyone I listened to kind of said, some very similar things, which was smart, right? We were like, man, those 20 home runs and 92 games, it was with the Reds. Uh, this is not a guy who's shown this kind of power before. 
Um, he didn't have the same home, nothing close to the same home run rate when he went to San Diego because he got traded. Uh, this is probably a you know twenty ish home run guy, right? And then he hits twenty six home runs in one hundred twenty five games. Um, I, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to make that mistake again and mm-hmm. say like, oh, he'll go back down. Like I, I do think that Brandon Drury has made some changes to the type of player that he is in terms of how he hits the ball, right? Like I, I think that, I think that Brandon Drury is is now a guy who I'm much more comfortable saying like 25, like he really, I mean, he, he's always been a pull hitter. Um, he's someone who it's just like just hitting the ball harder. Uh, you know, it started in 2021 and it carried into 2022 and 2023 hits the ball harder than he did earlier in his career. Um, 25 home runs, right? Brandon Drury has injury problems, uh, but not like, like it, Royce Lewis has injury problems, right? If you can't see the video, but I've got like the big eyebrows, like wise wide open injury problems, right? <laughs> Brandon Drury's just got like injury problems, like a uh-huh. shrug sort of injury problems. Uh, he'll probably play 120, 130 games, but he can hit 25 home runs in that time. Uh-huh. Right. He, he still like, he's not the full eligibility that he had going into 2023, but he's still first and second base in every single format. Oh yeah. That also means he can play corner and middle and uh, in formats that require that mm-hmm. like this, this is a good player, a player who I think when I was doing the hitter list, I kept him on it all the time. People are always like, Oh, why do you like Brandon Drury? I'm like, because he keeps making me do it. Look at the I'm stats. Like, he's an exciting yeah. player. The guy just right. keeps doing exactly the stuff that I didn't think he'd keep doing. Um, the one thing that uh, we talked about this, at, you know, before the show, there, there's one problem, right? So the Angels lineup is actually not too bad at the top half if nobody gets hurt. The problem is you're asking Mike Trout, Brandon Drury, and uh, Anthony Rendon and Taylor Ward not to get hurt. Right. Right. <laughs> Rendon, yeah, okay. Get hurt. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that, that's a lot of guys who get hurt a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Even if, right, they find a, a better leadoff guy in like, Rookie, uh, rookie last year, Zach Nito, right? Who, who did play well at times, right? Even if they get that, like they are, they are like a bad week away from having like Anthony Rendon, Brandon Drury is the heart of the lineup, hmm. right? Like that's, that's not good. That crushes counting stats, right? Like seven, like 70. So he had 61 runs scored in 125 games, Brandon Drury. That's mm-hmm. bad. That's not very many, right? Like, like, like he scored a run every other game. That's bad. Right. Like it's really, I mean, just imagine that, right? Like that's it, just not, it, it's not exactly what we want. So, um, how many games do you have? going to be hard to get to because now there's no Otani. Right. How many of those I, runs had, like how many of those runs in RBI were Otani? How many right? games like, do you think Trout plays this season? 130? More than 100. Over under uh, 130. Under. Okay. Yeah, because Steamer has him at 146 games. I'm I bet you. they do. I'd say because maybe that's, that's a valuable projection. Mm-hmm. That's a valuable projection because it gives you a starting point, and then you got to take it down, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, as a projection, right? Because a projection should be like what you think the you know 50th to 70th percentile outcome is, depending mm-hmm. on how rosy you are in a guy. So Brandon Drury, like right now, it's like Steamer projects him 134 games. That's fine. I'm okay with that. But to get 150 combined runs scored in RBI, even as a number three hitter within that offense, if everyone's healthy, absolutely. That's mm-hmm. there. 
But if they lose Mike Trout, Taylor Ward, and or Anthony Rendon for any extended period of time, especially Ward and Trout, all of a sudden that number becomes really hard to get to. Right. Uh, and then you, you almost have to, like, even though he hits third, you have to start feel, like looking at him counting stat wise is like a number seven, number eight hitter, right? Teoscar Hernandez is going to have more counting stats per game than Brandon Drury, despite the fact that one bat's seventh and one bat's third. Right. That's the, one of the best ways to really illustrate what team context means for fantasy, right? It's not about, oh, he'll get more pitches to hit. No, no, no. It's about guys on base and guys who can bring Drury home. There's just mm -hmm. not that many of them in LA, and they all are sort of like held together by scotch tape and thumbtacks, right? So like they me, fall apart all the time. Right. So let me ask you. So we just talked Brandon Drury. Uh, ha Young Kim, second baseman, expected to lead off for the Padres. Had you know his finest season in the majors last year, uh, 17 homers, 38 stolen bases, 260 batting average, 749 OPS. Um, StatCast expects his home runs to go down. Uh, his doubles went down last season. Uh, right-handed batter who has problems hitting right-handed pitching. Uh, 241 batting average versus righties, 302 versus lefties. Who would you rather have uh, on your roster, uh, Haseon Kim or Brandon Drury? And, and do, do you believe? <laughs> well, well, we all need a few. Yeah, you don't want to ignore it. Yeah, but I, so I mean, do you believe in Kim his season? Kim, yeah. I know Kim's going to play a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, I And I, you know, one very interesting anomaly. I don't know if I, you know, <laughs> Kim had 17 home runs. That's not a ton, but this is a dude who never hits the ball hard. Right. Ever. Yeah. 26.2% hard hit rate. Right. Mm -hmm. That's like 20% lower than most guys who hit home runs. Right. Uh, so um, it's, you know, it's very, very low. Still managed 17 home runs. I think 15 is about what I'd project him for. Thing is you've got 30 steals coming. And I think that you'll have a batting average. that doesn't hurt. I think you'll have plenty of runs scored. Uh, even though this like Padres offense isn't great, it's not bad, right? Like it, there's some pieces there. Like you've still got Manny Machado uh, in San Diego. You've got, you know, I think enough, um, again, not, not what it used to be at all, but Xander Bogarts, Freddie or Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, those guys can drive you in. Sure. So lead, lead off hitter, Haseon Kim, which mm -hmm. is exactly what we want him to be. Once he gets to the bottom of the lineup, we're way less interested. Yes, because now he's not scoring runs. Now he's just stolen bases and the occasional home run. But mm -hmm. as a leadoff hitter, Haseon Kim is a guy that you roster in in every format all the time, simply because, uh, you know, he can hit 15 home runs. He can definitely steal 30 or more bases, and do it while hitting like 360 with a good OBP because he takes walks, right? Like 260, he, right? Not 360. Yeah, it was. Uh, for, for sorry, the average 260 OBP could probably be like 360. Um, we actually saw you know some really not you know he continues to make adjustments here in the major leagues. He's a guy, good hitter, um, who again, it's the leadoff role that I love mm -hmm. on a team that's really top heavy, right? That lineup is like four and a half guys deep, mm -hmm. uh, because when you get to number five, it's Jake Cronenworth. So, but your top four with Kim Bogerts, Tatis Jr., and Machado. That's good, right? Like you can sure. score 90 times with those three guys behind you. Yes. Agreed. Yep. All right. So we just have a few more players that uh, were on our uh, notes that we'd like to try to get through. Uh, how about Jaron Duran, Red Sox outfielder? Uh, eight home runs, 40 RBI, 295 batting average, 828 OPA, uh, OPS. Uh, 
in 102 games played, had a toe injury in August, and needed surgery, ended the season prematurely. Career high, stat cast, hard hit, and launch angle rates. But uh, below average battle rate, so I mean, that doesn't really suggest that he'll develop into the power hitter that we had thought. Remember, a couple of years back, hit a bunch of home runs in the minor leagues. He had been working out with his dad, right? We thought maybe, you know, he, he was going to end up as, as a power hitter. But you like to talk about zone contact rate, 91.2% zone contact rate last season. Uh, so you're thinking that maybe he'll be able to continue hitting for a, a decent batting average. Uh, and I know... Uh, it's tough to predict line drive rates, but you look at this guy, line drive rates over 20% scattered throughout his professional career. Um, pitcher list expected batting average 249, but you say they take uh, directional hitting into effect. But uh, StatCast is a little bit more forgiving. They think his 295 batting average uh, is more like a 266 batting average. And... Uh, Basically, he's going to be hitting at the top of that Red Sox lineup. Not So far, not a real potent lineup, but still hitting at the top. We'll score some runs, steal some bases. Uh, what do you think about Duran? Can he build on that uh, 2023 season? Build? No. Mm. Um, but, but, you know, can he be good? Yes. Right. So uh, Duran is a lefty. He, like, never pulls the ball. But so usually I say it's weird for pitcher list to to not like you know to give a worse expected batting average sometimes than than other players right uh, or than Statcast itself because uh, we take directional hitting and usually that forgives guys because most guys pull the ball a little more and Duran like never pulls the ball however he plays for the Red Sox and as a lefty hitting the ball the other way has some value, especially when you do it in the air, like he does, right? Mm-hmm. Cause there's this big giant green wall over there yeah. that you can hit balls off of. I've so seen it. There, there's some, there, there's some forget, like you can forgive Duran a little bit for that. Like the, the home runs are just not going to be there. Right. So like 15 is a hard ceiling in my mind, from what I've seen from Jaron Duran, it's probably somewhere between 10 and 15, but he can be like a, like a Haseon Kim light, mm-hmm. I think, uh, or maybe just Haseon Kim, right? So if Jared Duran, the leadoff, everyday leadoff hitter, is a valuable fantasy player because that guy hits like 10 to 15 home runs, steals like 25 to 30 bases, and scores 90 runs, mm. right? Which is basically what I just said about Haseon Kim, except I know Haseon Kim has that job. And I know who's hitting behind him, and it's a couple like, you know, star caliber players. That's not so much what's happening in Boston. Like, Boston has two guys, really one guy that you want to hit in front of, right? And it's Rafael Devers. You want to hit in front of that guy. And maybe he Tristan Casas. Maybe uh, yeah, Casas. Yeah. yeah, I think you, you by the end of 2024, we could be saying that about Casas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, and I'd like to see some steps forward from like uh, Masataka Yoshida. This is a very sure. left-handed heavy lineup, especially mm-hmm. towards the top because Devers and Casas both left-handed, Yoshida left-handed. Um, another young guy that some people are excited about, Will Urabreu, he's left-handed as well. Mm-hmm. So the fear is that they're going to platoon Duran a little bit because he might be the weakest of those left-handed hitters. Maybe, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, I think it might actually end up being Will Urabreu, even though he's got some more power. It's hard to say. But you know what? if Jaron Duran's a leadoff hitter, he's an everyday guy in every format. If he's a guy who's sitting against lefties and only gets like 120 games and that's hard to that's hard to roster every day in a 12 team league right because you 
you can't really use a lot of bench spots on hitters. You get one, maybe mm-hmm. everything else. You're probably streaming pitching. Cause that's what you got to do in a 12 team league, like head to head or even Roto. Like that's what you have to do. So um, Duran, it's really going to depend on, I hope he has a great spring because that gives him a chance to be the everyday leadoff guy. Mm-hmm. That's what we want for Jaron Duran. Um, otherwise, you know, it, the value becomes a lot, you know, I have to be real flaky on what his value looks like after that. Cause then it's all about how much he plays and what if they start knocking him down to, cause if you don't have Jaron Duran batting lead off, where do you put him? Right? Like all of a sudden it's looking like seven, eight, nine. Mm-hmm. Right. And that part-time player is uh, a streamer. Right. Right. But lead off every day, like, like lead off guy that you start every time he plays. Right. So like, that's really the push and pull. Duran could be a 10 to 15 home run, 30 stolen base guy with decent ratios. Uh, maybe not great. Like you saw a lot of that was really front loaded. He was really hot out of the gate last season. Uh, and then sort of, you know, kind of came down a little bit, but I think it's all about Jaron Duran being able to secure a spot somewhere in at least the top half of this order, which mm-hmm. is going to be hard to do if he's not leading off. Cause that's what his skill set is for Jaron Duran. So, uh, that's what it's all about. So right. if you're projecting Jaron Duran, if you think he can win that leadoff spot, push him up your board. If you think, no, no way, he's going to give that up to maybe Yoshida comes out hot out of the gate, or maybe they platoon him with like a, a Tyler O'Neill or a Vaughn Grissom or how, Trevor Story maybe if they want to get a little squirrely in the leadoff spot and then Duran is either benched or at the bottom. Then all of a sudden, maybe it's like 10 home runs, 20 stolen bases, and all of a sudden – you, you drop below that replacement level in 12 team leagues, mm-hmm. like 15 team leagues. You kind of just like, you know, you draft him, uh, hoping you get more. You just like sort of cut his price a little bit. He still gets drafted. He still gets rostered by every, you know, all the time, never gets cut. Uh, because in five outfield, 15 teams, there's just not like 10, 10 home runs, 20 stolen bases. That's still above replacement value. You got to keep it. But in 12 team leagues, it's a much harder choice. That's right. why people say, Oh, 15 team leagues. That's the hard stuff. No, no, no. You have to make hard decisions in 12 team, three outfield leagues. Very true. You got to think about, you got to make these hard, like, because in a 15 team league, you just hold Duran. And if he becomes good again, you just throw him back in your lineup. Mm-hmm. You never had to cut him because you couldn't. But in a 12 team league, you absolutely had to make a call. I'm like Jaron Duran versus maybe, uh, uh, Kerry Carpenter who, you know, started out slow, got cut. Now is heating up. Which do I need, right? Do I want the power? Or do I want to keep waiting on Duran to maybe break out and give me speed? Like you have to start making hard decisions like that that don't happen in 15-team leagues. So mm-hmm. anyone out there knocking 12-team leagues, don't. It's hard. It's just a different kind of hard. It's like those of you who have played in like a 10-team fantasy league. It's weird, man. you got to make hard calls. Right. You've got good players all the way down the bench, mm-hmm. right? Like you're ma- that, you're the one at, you're the one calling into the ESPN fantasy show asking whether you should start the 13th or 14th ranked running back that week <laughs> because you've already got the first and the seventh, right? right? Like, you, you don't, like you're not sure what you should do. So like there's some hard decisions to make in 12 team leagues. It's still very fun, but it really pushes you on what do I actually need? And what does this player give me? And what's the risk of not getting it? Right. So Duran is going to present more of a risk of not getting it because he needs two things to happen. He needs to not get platooned and he needs to lead off. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas a guy like Kerry Carpenter, who we're not going to spend much time on, uh, his big problem is that he can't get the ball in the air against left-handed pitching. If he can do that, he can be an everyday player. But either way, you really only care, like, if if, if Kerry Carpenter is playing 80% of games, then yeah, he's probably going to have enough power to be relevant. Mm -hmm. 
Like you don't really care where he hits in the lineup because there's only so many spots he's going to hit in the lineup anyway, right? He's going to hit somewhere between like third and sixth period. That's just what's going to happen. Jaron Duran has way more range of outcomes. Takes a lot more thinking about, do I, is it worth holding? Like if I already have steals, is Jaron Duran even really helping my team? Or is he really just kind of a dead roster spot unless he does the breakout uh, and I need power so I can, you know, maybe take losses at other stuff because I really need the power. You got to start making those decisions. And Jaron Duran just has that wide range of outcomes that, you know, I sort of initially compared him to Haseon Kim. The ceilings are the same. Mm-hmm. It's the floors that are very, very different because Haseon Kim still plays every single day in San Diego. Just if he has a really bad month, you might see him bat like six, seven, eight. Good. Right. But still valuable. Still a guy that you can use because he was doing that a lot last season. Jaron Duran also becomes part-time. Haseon Kim never becomes part-time. Right. Jaron Duran might become part-time. And bottom of the lineup on a team that has a very, very unknown sort of potential roster. That's right? an inter- interesting lineup, man. I forgot that they got Tyler O'Neill, right-handed hitter. Yeah, it's like after Devers Cassis, who are two and three, you've got Story, Yoshida, O'Neill, Willier Abreu, mm-hmm. Vaughn Grissom, right. Connor Wong, the catcher. Mm-hmm. On the bench, there's nobody, right? Reese McGuire. Maybe Dahlbeck, maybe Dahlbeck, but uh, he's... Dahl- yeah, yeah, because they might want to watch a guy strike out 40% of the hey, time and hit a get, home run. It gets hot in Boston, you know, the... Uh, the wind coming off him swinging and missing could help. Yeah. And then <laughs> Rob Ref Snyder, who continues to find work because he walks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, like a 50, like his OBP is like 50 points higher than his slugging. Yeah. 365 OBP last season. So I yeah. mean, it's, it's a weird lineup. I mean, if they, if they could put it all together, be a, a fun team to watch. And now they're saying Yoshida might be on the, the minors we're waiting on. Yeah, like there's not like it's not like oh yeah, but well I mean this guy's going to be coming up and he's really gonna he's really gonna make an impact like no Mm. that's not really I mean like Sedane Rafala is like an interesting player but like not like a super fantasy relevant one David Hamilton can run but he can't do anything else and we saw that in Spades last season um you know like they have this kid Nico Cavadas but like he's he's just like Tristan Casas right except like not as good. Mm-hmm. So he's still a little ways away. He's I think he needs a full season in AAA probably. Like there's not more guys coming. So unless they trade or make some other free agent acquisition, which I don't think they will, um, this roster is really weird after two and three. Hmm. Okay. Um, there were two other players on our rundown. I don't know if you want to just give a quick synopsis on uh, Evan Carter. And you mentioned Kerry Carpenter. You thinking that maybe Kerry Carpenter could be platooned based on, you know, his, he had some issues hitting against uh, left-handed pitching and uh, home away splits were a little skewed. But uh, what do you think about Carter and Carpenter? And then we'll s- say goodbye to everyone. Yeah, so Kerry Carpenter, left-handed, uh, always going to be in the lineup against righties. I think some lefties, they might bench him. His problem is that he hits ground balls against lefties a lot, right? Like, he he does strike out a little bit more, but really, he just, every time he hits against them, just like what we talked about with Ellie De La Cruz, right? Like, he doesn't hit the right pitches. He gets fooled by breaking balls and then just hits them into the ground, right into the infield, and then he's out because it's not like he's fast. So, uh, this team is a little crowded at outfield, uh, the Tigers, but I do think Kerry Carpenter gets a chance to play almost every single day. He's got the ability to be hot and be like a close to 30 home run hitter. And I think they want to see if they can get that out of Kerry Carpenter. So 
again, his the risk is that he eventually becomes platoon, but that that's actually that platooning doesn't happen until he's bad for a while. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that, that's what it'll take. Like I, it, it's not like someone could get good and then force it. Uh, he kind of has, he has that spot to lose. Uh, Evan Carter, like, you know, talk about a great, you know, finish to the season and postseason. Um, but like, let's be clear. I think the, the version you got in the postseason, which is like one home run in 17 games is a lot more realistic than the one you saw at the end of the regular season, which was five home runs in 23 games. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's also more realistic because you saw the, the strikeout rate in the uh, regular season, 23 games, 75 plate appearances, 32%, right? Like that's not Evan Carter, Evan Carter and the minors never struck out anything close to that. Right. I usually add 5% or so when you get to the major leagues, that doesn't get you to 32. They get you a lot closer to the 26.4% that he struck out in the playoffs. And like, I I'm comparing the two, because even though it's like six games different, it's 75 plate appearances in the regular season, 72 plate appearances in the postseason. So I'm sort of juxtaposing as like a split season for him. It's really small samples either way, but the second one is a lot more realistic because he still steals bases. He hits for a good average, but he doesn't hit that many home runs. So like, to me, this is more like a 15 to 17 home run guy who can steal like 20 or more bases. Uh, I also don't think steamer is adjusting stolen bases enough based on the new environment. Mm-hmm. I think all projection systems are still trying to figure out how to do this. And a lot of them are still in progress. So we're not quite sure um, how those are going to, but I, I expect for him to be more like a 15 home run to 20 stolen base guy with good ratios, right? Like the projection they have is 250. I think it can be higher than that. Like, I don't know. He's a 300 hitter, but 260, 270, 280 even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's realistic for Evan Carter type of player that he is. Cause he's like a hit tool and speed guy who can hit some home runs. Um, but he will probably play every single day for Texas. He's a guy, you know, he's left-handed, so he's going to get a platoon advantage most of the time. Um, a player I really like, just and, and I don't think people are doing this, but like, just don't think that this is like a 20, 25 home run hitter because I don't think that's there. Mm. And, and no one's ever really thought that, right? Like, his power grades have never been like that. Um, he's he's hit tool with some power, not like, oh man, he got to the majors and all of a sudden he's in the ball harder. That's not really, really how it works. And and stat cast, like, they showed that he had, had a decent uh hard hit rate, but like the max EV and average EV kind of tell you like this wasn't like an elite power hitter or like even a, even a 25 home run guy. Like it, it's down from that. He's much more likely to hit 15 home runs. I think in a full season, than Kim, like there's a lot of seasons where in a full season, Kim hits less than 15 and Duran hits less than 15. I think Evan Carter gets to 15 pretty much every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting. Um, to see how he'll fare out this season because you have Wyatt Langford, who's another highly regarded uh, outfielder in the Rangers system that uh, could get the call sometime this season, but more likely we're looking at a 2025 major league debut, but we'll see. Yeah. And if anyone gets hurt there, it's probably more like the Ezekiel Durans of the world mm-hmm. um, who are more erratic and things like that. Like, I just don't see them letting Evan Carter, you know, hit the bench, right? right? I think Carter's going to stay out there. I think Adelis Garcia, he's always there. Leody Tavares, I, I think they'd have to feel like they're getting the defensive replacement too, mm-hmm. because he's really playing center field for that defense. And if they think Wyatt Langford can play center field or one of these guys can play center field as well as Tavares, then maybe Tavares becomes the odd man out. And it's like, maybe kind of does a platoon with Duran. 
But that that's really, I think, what we're looking at. I think I think Evan Carter earned at least all of April and probably May as an everyday player, unless something really falls apart. Gotcha. Good stuff. All right. So that uh, basically slams the lid on things for this episode. Great analysis as always, Scott. That's Scott Chu. Follow him on X at If The Chew Fits. You can follow me at Joe Galina. And like I uh, said earlier in the episode, please subscribe to the podcast, uh, review and rate it. Let us know how we're doing and uh, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Also want to give a, a special shout out to Chris over at Baseball Pods. His handle is at Baseball Pods on X. Uh, his content can be found at baseball-pods.com. He uh, listens to a lot of baseball podcasts and uh, does a great job of highlighting uh, a lot of the podcasts that uh, you might be interested in listening to and gave us a, a nice shout out a couple weeks ago. I appreciate that. Um, and uh, hey, as always, we hope that all of your fantasies become realities. And we'll see you next time. 